Boker Tov, Erev Tov. Uh, so tonight's shear, this morning's shear, uh, is in memory, loving memory, of uh, my uncle Lavram Tzvi Ben Nassan Yosef Nusen, who's the last uh, survivor uh, of the Holocaust in our family. And uh, he and his wife, uh, Esther, Allah Shalom, um, were really uh, inspirational uh, for both Bobby and myself uh, about getting about the business of uh, making Aliyah. So, Avram Tzvi Ben Nosen Yosef Nusen. So, Perak Gimel, chapter 3 in Sefer Daniel, is really the stuff that Sunday schools uh, were made of, as uh, our friend David and I were discussing before. Uh, and uh, tongue-in-cheek things were really heating up in the royal palace of Babylon because uh, subsequent to the dream that we noted last week uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had of this great monument that, w- that toppled and fell uh, and uh, Daniel's interpretation, we now have uh, Nebuchadnezzar Malka, uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar, uh, making a, uh, a giant statue that is uh, 60 amot high and 6 amot wide, and he places it in uh, Bikat Dura, uh, in the valley of Dura, which uh, in a couple of moments will be clear to you wh- why we're placing it there um, and why that's the emphasis uh, on Bikat Dura. And uh, here we're just working with the Aramaic for a bit here. We'll get to the translation very shortly. La Chanukat Salma. So we're, you know, used to talking about Chanukat HaMizbeach, of uh, having a Chanukat HaBayit, so, uh, you know, a, a home opening, or home housewarming, if you will. So uh, he's having a Chanukat Salma. Uh, he's inviting everyone to the inauguration of this monument slash statue. Uh, the dist- difference between those... Uh, in terms of our purposes, will become apparent in uh, just a bit. And so there's a royal decree, and the decree goes out, and uh, the word is uh, that uh, everyone needs to gather, and be'idana, in the moment. You know, you can imagine, you know, now in uh, our era of uh, Twitter and and Facebook and uh, and tweets, you know, it's not extraordinary to us that people all over the world uh, would be responding to something in a, in a synchronous moment. Uh, but here, uh, back in, uh, in Bavel, uh, you know, somewhere uh, between, uh, uh, you know, 70 AD uh, or 68 AD, something like this, you know, you know uh, I'm sorry, uh, 536, 587, 580 uh, BCE, uh, we have the King Nebuchadnezzar, or the person we've called Nabiad, according to Rav Yoel, uh, telling everyone that at the moment, at the precise mer- moment, which is the word, what the word Bidana means, uh, that they hear uh, this, this chorus of, uh, of musical instruments that we'll talk about a bit later, God willing. Uh, they, Tiplun v'tizgidun l'tzelem dahava. Uh, the command is that they need to fall and uh, and start uh, praying, uh, servicing the uh, this uh, this great monument uh, or statue, if you will, uh, idol, if you will, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar Malka uh, has has put up, and uh, the 
you know, uh, the, being the warrior king that he was, uh, Nebuchadnezzar knew how to enforce discipline on, uh, on royal decrees, and so he had this giant furnace, this giant fire made, uh, and anyone who was uh, caught not prostrating themselves and uh, subjugating themselves at that moment would be summarily thrown into the fire. Uh, and then we have, uh, you know, a, a famous story of the, you know, there are people who come and they inform the king that, um, in g given their uh, their Babylonian names, Shedrach, Meshach, Ve'avad, Migo, the Guvraya Ilech, these particular people, I put the bold print on Guvraya because we're going to see it um, uh, uh, appear a couple of more times, and at the end of this year, we hope to talk about why a word like guvraya is used here. Guvraya just simply means men, but or, or individuals, you might call them. So these uh, uh, individuals who are first named and now uh, will move into being just calling people after a while, uh, these individuals, uh, someone rats them out and says, uh, you know, that they're they're not showing up and and they don't. Uh, they're not following the king's orders. So, you know, we have the predictable scene. The king orders them in. He has a conversation with them, which we'll track in Hebrew in really just a moment. Um, uh, the, uh, just for the, the, the poetry of the Aramaic, so to speak. So after, uh, you know, they refuse and they're thrown into the, the fiery furnace, uh, the king sees Chazay Guvrin Arba'a, Shrein Mahalchin Begonura. Nebuchadnezzar sees four people, uh, four guvrin, four individuals who are walking amidst the flames, um, Nura being flames. And the flames, Loshaleit Nura, the flames are having no effect on these four people. So here we move to the, the, uh, the translation. Uh, so he's, uh, the king is letting it be known to. Uh, all the nations, ha'amim ha'umot ve'halashonot. I thought that was an interesting point here. Uh, you know, we've been spending some time comparing uh, Sefer Daniel to Migilat Aster, and, uh, you know, the idea that peoples of the world are identified and um, referred to based on their spoken languages uh, is common, uh, you know, uh, uh, so here we have a reference to the different uh, uh, languages, um, and then we have uh, here in the in the Hebrew that the Kazdim, you know, the, some of the older Babylonians are the ones who, who give away Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, uh, who they you know you get a sense of gener uh, of jealousy because they tell the king you know. These are people that you uh, appointed, you know, being Daniel's cohorts. You know, they were given great, uh, great offices after uh, Daniel successfully interpreted the king's night terrors. So, uh, but these people, you know, they're they're not paying any mind, and uh, and here we have the duality that we're going to be uh, looking at uh, during the course of this year, because uh, we have um, the. Number one, lo samu alecha hamelech leiv. They're ignoring the royal decree, and then et elohecha einam ovdim. Well, et selam hazahava sharakimota einam sokdim. So the what we have here is these people are ignoring the royal decree, 
they're not worshipping the god of the Babylonians or the god of Nebuchadnezzar, and they're not bowing down to this gold statue that, that, you, uh, that you erected. And so the king is berogaz v'chema, he's furious, he confronts them, and, uh, and he tells them, you know, uh, <laughs> if you don't follow through here, uh, you're going to wind up in this in this furnace. You really? And here the, you hear the ancient echoes of of uh, of, um, of the Assyrian uh, uh, army outside of uh, King Chizkiyahu's Rav Shakei saying, you know, who do you think is going to save you from Ashur? And here you have a similar disdainful, who do you think is going to save you here? And uh, so the uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah say to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, by the way, so the Gomrim Lamelech in the Chazal are very, uh, uh, very careful here in noting that they, say, they call the king by his, by his name. They say, Vaonrim Lamelech, the text record that they said to the king, and the spoken words were Nebuchadnezzar, which is like, you know, walking over, walking up to, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Putin, and, and saying, uh, Hey, Putin, uh, we don't have to uh, respond to your, uh, to your uh, decree. Uh, and uh, then they say the following. I'm going to read it in the Hebrew uh, and translate, because uh, um, as we mentioned last time, uh, this is one of, the, it's not only the turning point in the story, but it's also one of the problematic issues that we touched on last week and will expand on, God willing, this week, in the way that Hananiah, Mishael, and Isaiah respond. In Yesh Eloheinu, if it happens to be that our God, Asher Anathnu Odim, not your God, the one we worship, Yachola Hatzileinu, if he's capable or decides to help us, Mikivshana Eish, Haborer Tumietcha Melech Yatzil. You say, you know, uh, there's no salvation for us, you know, if our God chooses, so to speak, he will. Vim lo, and if he doesn't, yadoa yelecha hamelech kile lohecha ein anachnu ovdim. Even if we wind up perishing in the fires, or, you know, because our God doesn't choose uh, or won't help us, uh, it doesn't matter. We ain't bowing down. We're not doing that. We're not doing any worshiping to your tselem, to your monument, to your idol. So uh, here we have the king, uh, his countenance changes, he's ripping mad, and he, uh, and he, he orders the fire uh, built up seven times hotter uh, than before, and clothed and bound uh, with, uh, to each other, the three are, are uh, thrown into the Kifshan Heish HaBoeret. And then... Uh, the, the fire is so intense that the, uh, the executioners who throw Mishael uh, Hananya Vazalia into the fire are themselves consumed uh, at the opening to the pit from the sheer heat, heat or the, the flames uh, ensconced. Uh, they're, they're, covered, they're, they're caught up in the flames. And Vanashim Heile Shloshtam Shadrach Meshach Ve'avad Nego Hananya Mishael Vazalia Naflu. So uh, it's, uh, this is uh, enigmatic because uh, one, one verse seems to say that they were thrown in. Here they're falling in. Uh, this is going to uh, have meaning for us when we explore the idea of Kiddush Hashem, 
which is certainly one of the important ideas uh, in this course of uh, our study of the third parak and the conduct of uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So then, uh, you know, the king is watching the spectacle, and he says to his uh, to his uh, advisors and the what's left of his new court around him, and he says, "Hey, wait a minute! You know, didn't we just throw three guys down there?" And they say, "Yes, sir." And he says, well, I don't know, if my eyes don't deceive me, I see four people down there bound together, and they're walking through the, the fires, and uh, they're, they're not even getting singed by the, by, the, by the fire. And then he says, and the appearance of this fourth personage in the, uh, uh, in the furnace uh, seems to be Ben uh, Elohim, he seems like an angel or some heavenly being. So the king calls out, he tells the three of them, servants of the higher God. In other words, here is uh, a moment of, uh, of awareness, a spiritual awareness for the, uh, the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar, this is the second time so far that we've seen where he acknowledges God, um, and here he's acknowledging God as the uh, the God of the upper worlds, of the uh, the highest God. Uh, and so then Hanani, Mishael, Vazaria come out of the, the, the fire, um, and nothing touched them. They don't even have any smell or, or taint of having been in a fire. Amazing. Uh, those of you living here in Yerushalayim around Gansakar, you know, we can carry the smell of barbecue for weeks here. Um, and so uh, Nebuchadnezzar, astonished by all of this, says, Baruch Eloheim, Shel Shadrach, Meshach, Vavadnego, uh, Blessed be the God of Hananiah, Mishael, Vazaria, Asher Shalach Malacho, who sent his agent, his angel, Vitzilat Avadav Asher Batchu Alav. And, you know, he saved, uh, uh, he's, he saved uh, his, serv- the, the, his servants, his loyal servants, and then the king decrees that anybody who downgrades the degree of the miracle or says anything against the god of the three of the holy trio, you know, the king will have them chopped up into mincemeat. Um, and uh, so, uh, and this concludes with Nebuchadnezzar saying, "How imi el elyon." These great uh, miracles that were performed before me, before me, I'm happy to talk about how wonderful these miracles were and how strong they are. Malchuto, Malchut Olam, God's reign is forever. Vishil Tano, Imdor, Vador. Okay, so that's, that's what the text has to say. Uh, the first issue we want to tackle is, you know, one that we hinted to earlier. So what exactly is this? This Tselem HaZahav, this golden uh, thing that he builds, um, just... To understand what it was, um, and in other words, is it really an idol uh, that that's part of pagan idolatry, or is it some form of a monument or an andarta, as we would say in modern Hebrew and uh, in Aramaic? So the Mitzudat David, uh, after describing the height and and the width of the thing, as we mentioned before, and that it was put up in Bikat Dura, and we will get to talk about why the Valley of Dura is so important here. Vamru Razal reports the Mitudat David 
על כי שמע בפתרון חלומו אשר ישראל ינחלו מהמלכות בארץ ישראל עד עולם. So our rabbis taught us, says the, uh, the Mitsudos, that, uh, you know, uh, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar heard from the mouth of Daniel, uh, you know, that uh, his previous dream meant that the Jewish people will be the ultimate dynasty, the ultimate uh, rulers of, of, of the world in Eretz Yisrael. So uh, the motivation for the statue was, A, in response to the dream, and B, uh, some magical thinking, if you will, on Nebuchadnezzar's part, or, uh, you know, uh, a, a kind of cynical uh, uh, plotting on his part, that maybe if he can trick the Jewish people in his, uh, in his court into worshipping idols, uh, you know, then uh, everything that was foretold in his previous dream uh, will not come true. Uh, Rav Meidan says, If Sharshin Nebuchadnezzar Megiv al Pitaron Achalom, he considers very strongly the possibility that Nebuchadnezzar put up this statue, uh, we'll call it a statue for the moment, uh, in response to the dream that he had. And Pesel Malchut Bavelt Leolam. So here's an act, if you will, of defiance uh, rather than a plot, uh, like the Mitsudo suggested. He's defying uh, the dream, and he's, and he, and, you know, he's. This is this is human hubris, you know, to the highest extent. You know, he's going to fly his way into the annals of history by building a statue. Um, and uh, you know the, uh, the the question is ask Rav Meidan Haim Yuchal Yachol Pesel Melakuti can an artificial uh, a statue that was made for a particular purpose uh, compete with the uh, with the the statue the one that fell in in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? Um, so notwithstanding Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, considerable expense and trouble to make this uh, this monument. Uh, you know, in his hope that he could somehow uh, influence the results or, or the way his dream would ultimately turn out, uh, all of that uh, collapses in a moment. Now, I, I want to take a minute here just to say that um, this, uh, this discussion that we're in the midst of right now about whether this is an idol or a monument, uh, I think offers us a bit of a dimension and understanding, you know, one of the more important Rambans in Chumash. This is the famous Ramban in Shmot, where the Ramban argues that the Jewish people uh, did not worship the golden calf, uh, but that it was also, uh, you know, from the vantage point of Sefer Daniel, it might be comparable to an andarta, to a monument, rather, you know, that rather than a, uh, than a, a, a true idol. Um, you may, you may like that or not. <laughs> well, you know, Notwithstanding what we just saw, that, that this was an andarta, we have uh, those who actually are very clear uh, in saying that this was, uh, it, it was a statue, a, a, a pagan statue, it was an idol. Uh, here we have Rav Sad Yagaon um, uh, writing Emunot Videot, and he says uh, that Hananiah uh, Mishael Vazaria. Um, you know, uh, gave their lives up or were willing to So this is very clear. They're, they're willing to give up their lives because they're not willing to worship uh, anything uh, that was, uh, that had to do with idolatry. And he says, you know, 
they, they had to know that this was going to be the end, um, and so this was serious business. Uh, this is just a point of personal curiosity. I was wondering about the musical accompaniment uh, and what, what that all about, was about. Uh, so Rashi uh, lets us know that, that this may have been for the purposes of, uh, you know, uh, like we have certain drums that are called gathering drums. These were instruments that w might have served to help gather the people. Uh, the Riyab and Yechia, who we introduced some weeks ago, uh, say that these were uh, the kind of instruments that would go with singers, or, 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 or uh, um, he uses a word here that I couldn't find, um, I haven't given up yet, but uh, he calls it pifurash, uh, which is something in Aramaic that has reference to something like an orchestra, I imagine, or a chorus, or something like that, or chorale. The Malbim, in much simpler terms, uh, tells us that uh, the seven different instruments that are enumerated uh, were uh, designated in, in parallel to the seven stars, the uh, the Kochvelef, the, the primary stars in the, in, the, in the skies. And this was again um, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to call on the forces of nature um, and incorporate uh, uh, everything that he could to declare um, you know, that, that he was stronger and he could influence the dream uh, that he had. Now, uh, we, we said that we were going to speak about Bikat Dura, and it comes up in this part of our presentation here, this, shir, this part of the Shir, because the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Sadi Beis, tells us that at the very moment uh, that all of this was going on in Bikat Dura uh, with Daniel, this is the moment when Yechezkel Hanavi was uh, reviving the dead in, uh, in another part of Bikat Dura. So uh, in, we have what we call synchronous uh, miracles, which had a very important impact, as we will see in a moment. Um, so the Gemara there says, Tanu Rabbanan, Shisha Nisim Nasu Ayom. And the Gemara enumerates uh, six different miracles that happened uh, that day. And at the, at the heart of this, aside from uh, that was the day that uh, Yechezkel was, uh, revived the dead, this was the equivalent of the Nishifu Arbar Malchiot, the defeat of, the, uh, of, uh, of Nebuchad's plan, Nebuchadnezzar's plan uh, to destroy the Jewish future in the form of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and their survival uh, was really um, the opposite of what he hoped for, obviously, and really uh, uh, verified and validated the, the, what he actually did see in the dream uh, that was recorded in Perik Bet. In other words, uh, this was the day when uh, Malchut Shemayim was uh, affirmed, and more than that, because we're going to see that this had both spiritual and halakhic uh, consequences. Uh, there's a very nice piece uh, by someone named Rav Ezra Heyman um, who uh, adds to the contrast that we, we mentioned before that at Selim calling it a, a statue or an idol would be paying tribute to the uh, to uh, Avodah Zarah, to uh, idol worship, uh, whereas a monument might be a, a, an expression of political uh, dominance. 
But whichever way that is, uh, Rav Hyman uh, claims that because of what uh, Daniel and his friends did, this was a direct uh, connection to the idea that the Anche Knesset Hagdola, which would be, you know, uh, a generation away at most, who destroyed the power or uprooted uh, pagan idolatry. They were the ones who mavatel, uh, what he calls the Shoresh of Avodah Zarah. So in other words, uh, if this was not only a, a, you know, the, a, an auto de fe, a test by fire, you know, it's a test by fire that boomeranged, uh, and uh, so instead of Nebuchadnezzar uh, and his idol that he said that he represented, you know, uh, assuming dominance, they're the ones that, through Nebuchadnezzar, has to admit that, uh, you know, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's um, refusal of his own political and religious um, insistence uh, meant that, you know, there was, a, there was a mightier power which he was forced to acknowledge. Rav Hyman also, uh, it just, uh, it, it was kind of a, a pretty uh, combination, he says, the kivshan ha'esh, uh, this fiery furnace, uh, and the Yecheskel's uh, um, vision that we just said took place on the same day of Tchiat uh, HaMetim, you know, the, the dry bones, um, after the, on the heels of the, the burning of another burning, the burning of the Beit HaMikdash, and that these, this is the moment where the, uh, the Jewish people comes to life again. Um, we said this when we, when we started Sefer Yechazkel, that the Hatzamot uh, uh, the, uh, means that the nation is recovering and will survive and, and, and move past, so to speak, the destruction of Shlomo Beit HaMelech, um, but it also here, uh, this means that you know if, if the uh, if the Mishkan Ha'edut, as we read in this week's parsha, if the, uh, the the Holy of Holies and God's word is going to stand over pagan idolatry, um, this is uh, the the embarrassment, if you will, of Nebuchadnezzar uh, with this great pomp and circumstance, and Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah both succeeding in defying his word and coming out in this miraculous way, way this all paves the way for uh, the uh, uh, Koresh's uh, decree on, and the return to Zion and the Binyan Sheni. The Banyo Yada uh, uh, stresses something here that uh, is, is really important for us because um, he tells us that all the events in Bikat Dura that the Gemara was just talking about um, all speak to uh, God's uh, dominance over the four elements. Uh, that were, as medievalists certainly, uh, you know, were, were uh, very much uh, centered and focused on uh, fire, uh, wind, uh, you know, uh, uh, water, and dust. And so, uh, in the in the collapse of uh, the the monument and the defiance of the power of the fire. That Nebuchadnezzar uh, threw Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah into, you know, this is the defeat of the powers of nature at the hand of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, who is asserting or reasserting his dominance over the the world as uh, the civilized world, if you will, um, and, and to make it clear that uh, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is running the world 
and there's no power, Nebuchadnezzar's, or fire, wind, or, or etc., that could be greater. The Maral, interestingly, here, um, and I'm, here I'm uh, drawing a, uh, a bridge between uh, this part and the coming part here, uh, stresses the, uh, the names of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and gives them uh, uh, greater approbation for their unique characteristics, Hananiah Chain, uh, his, his charm, uh, his, uh, his, um, his, his sense of justice, Mishael, his uh, cap capacity for compassion, and Azariah being a kind human being. So he said all of these things stood in their, uh, in their credit and had a lot to do with how they were saved or why they were saved. Now, uh, you know, as, as like any other great decision taken in history, and maybe I need to just take a moment in here uh, to uh, foreshadow what, what's coming next, is that uh, there is a great debate about Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah allowing themselves to die or to be put to death, or what would have been certain death, uh, in, in the Kivshan Ha'esh. And here's, here's the, what we have. Uh, so uh, the Rebbein Yechiyah says, well, they knew that there was no way out of that, and so there was no question that they were giving up their lives. We saw this earlier, uh, expressed earlier well. But look at the Zohar. The Zohar uh, says that um, they're, they're, they think that Hananiah, Mishael, Vazaria um, were, uh, after they, they made the Tanai, if God will help us and, and if not, you know, the whole conditionality they themselves, this was, this was just not the right way to say things. And, and uh, the Zohar um, is, is not really sure that Hananiah, uh, Mishael, Vazaria, you know, were in the best of steads uh, when, they, uh, when they decided to give up their lives and to express it in the way that they did. Um, we met, you, you may remember that uh, last time we, we quoted Dr. Nama Golan, who posed uh, our chapter as one of, in this conditionality of the language uh, that they used as one of the two uh, theological problems in Sefer Daniel. So, um, and now we get to the king's, uh, so to speak, statue, um, and what it represented and what Nebuchadnezzar thought, uh, you know, this might do, as we said, you know, he or he inhabited or appropriated his own dream in a way to, uh, a bold attempt, if you will, to avoid his own fate. The Abarbanel says, Nebuchadnezzar uh, he, 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 uh, he wised up, he, he tried to be clever here. Uh, against, against, right? That's an important word. Neged haniralo bechalomo. He's trying to defy God's will here. And, uh, you know, he wants to show that that notwithstanding the, the, uh, the dream, you know, where the golden head, which is him, you know, uh, you know falls to the silver, to the brass, and, and, to, the, and, to, the, and to the metal or iron, you know, so he wants to change all of that if he can. And uh, the Barbanel tells us that Hananiah Mishael Vazaria, lo ratzulishtachavot, uh, not only because of anything that could have had to do with idolatry, but because 
they were firm believers in the idea that there were four Malkyot and that the dream was true. And then we have the position of the Abarbanel that you know sounds uh, like it's derivative uh, or could have been said by the Ramban, Shilohaya Avodazara Mamash. Uh, the Barbanel was convinced that this was uh, more a political than a religious thing, although if we're true to the text, as we said earlier, it's kind of hard to separate out and you know, what we've said in previous shurim about uh, you know, victors and, uh, and tyrants and their uh, def- self-defecation or belief that if they won, their, their protective uh, idol won and all of that. So um, the Malbim adds some drama to this uh, by telling us that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar could have uh, had this be a, a do-it-at-home uh, exercise, uh, but he writes, So this highlights the, the job of these three Jews, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, Azariah, uh, whose job it was to represent the Jewish people in a, in a way. And um, so this was really a test of uh, the, the Jewish faith against, uh, against Nebuchadnezzar and all that he stood for. Now, uh, the Malbim uh, brings us uh, this part of what we will see in a bit in, in, in the Medrash, is that you know that the uh, fourth presence is Nebuchadnezzar admitted and said he saw he saw a a maloch b'tzura no This is uh, you know he's terrified uh, by seeing this uh, this angel. This is not like uh, how we envision this whole thing going. So who does he see? Uh, so we will have one of two options. The first one we'll explore is. Uh, well, he, first he's nem, named in the, in the Malbim uh, anonymously as Sar Habarad, and Gabriel, who's the Sar Ha'esh, so we have the, uh, the uh, I'm sorry, not the God, the Angel of Fire and versus the Angel of Hail, um, competing for uh, whose job it is, or who wants to go down and save uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, Rav Medan uh, uh, Concluded uh, his comments on uh, on this uh, on this part of the parak, saying, uh, This didn't turn out the way the, the king hoped. Uh, you know, shocked and chagrined, he sees not only the three people that he had sentenced to death uh, alive and well, but now there's an angel. And says Ramadan, uh, beautifully, who ne'elatz He was therefore forced, he had no choice but to declare, on the supremacy of God's rule, he, he had to admit his own defeat. Again, that all paves the way for not only uh, the Nebuchadnezzar uh, the, uh, and the decline of the Babylonian Empire, but also the ultimate, uh, the weakening of, uh, of the power of pagan Avodah Now, we, we mentioned earlier, and, and here we're just going to stress it a bit more, that uh, the mark of this, uh, of the miracles of the day, both the uh, bringing to life of, of the dead by Yechezkel and uh, the survival of Chanyana Mishael Vazaria from the flames, 
Veruach Eish Lo Avar Behem. So what we have here is that they were not saved from the furnace, per se. What they withstood was the natural devastation of flames and fire. Flames and fire uh, are representing, you know, some of the strongest forces of nature uh, that we know. And so here, uh, just to verify what we said earlier, you have the Shira Shirim Rabbah saying, asking, uh, when, at what point in time did, uh, was the, uh, the, the uh, in, uh, irrepressible urge uh, to worship idolatry uh, finally repressed and, and uh, um, torn uh, by, up by uprooted? Rabbinayahu Amar Elu Mordechai Ve'ester, uh, he thought it was later in the times of Mordechai and Esther, but Rabbanan Amri, the majority opinion is, it was on the day that Hanania and Mishael Vazaria were saved from the Kishan Ha'esh. And that the, the basis for that would be the Gemara that we looked at earlier in the con- continuation. B'Sha'ashe Yatsu Hanania Mishael Vazaria Mikishan Ha'esh Ba'u Kala Umot HaOlam V'Tipchu L'Sonehem Shel Yisrael Al-Tnehem so this is really, a, you know, you read this Gemara with mixed feelings, because on the one hand, it's acknowledgement of all umot haolam, all the nations, uh, about the supremacy of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but also a very embarrassing moment, because they turn to the Jews, and they say, really, uh, you, you guys worshipped idols when you had a god of this... Uh, of this power, uh, how embarrassing is that? So here the Ben Kol asks, what was behind the undermining of the reigning belief in nature? Did this defeat of the force of fire foreshadow the unleashing of what we will read later on in the coming chapters of unnatural beings that spring from the heart of nature? We wonder. So part three is a discussion about the business, of, the very holy business of Kiddush Hashem or Kiddush Shemayim. And again, the problem with Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah is on the one hand, um, they really represent or embody the idea of, of people who are willing to die on Kiddush Hashem. The Sifri in Hazinu says, uh, this is the Kiddush Hashem. And uh, so uh, the debate that we're having here is, was this really necessary? And the Gemara, in fact, asks uh, in Psachim, So um, Rashi uh, right there says, well, you know, you have a Pasuk that says, Vachaibahem, that Jewish people are supposed to uh, uh, live, they're not supposed to commit suicide, what, what was the necessity? What, 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 are these, what, were, the, what were they thinking? Tosfos uh, there takes uh, this to a, a, a predictably Tosfos kind of discussion because they say, well, you know, the Pasuk that requires us dying on Kiddush Hashem uh, is uh, when, the, it's, when there is a... Um, uh, there, there's it's barabim when there's it's b'farhesia when there are two uh, ten people in, in 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 presence and Rabbeinu Tam says well this selim shasanu v'chanetzer lo avodazah hava ela andarta shasalich v'ra atzmo again 
Here we have no one less than Rabbeinu Tam saying, well, this was a political, not a religious decree, so why, why did they do this? So the, the Marsha, you know, uh, says, you know, they really weren't required to be Moser Nefesh. Uh, the Rambam uh, cites Kananya Mishael in Azariah as the exemplary people who would have died on Kiddush Hashem. He says, uh, this is the Rambam in uh, Yisodei HaTorah, Perak Hei, in the fifth chapter, HaRezei Kiddush Hashem Berabim. This is exactly L'Kedadayel Kananya Mishael V'Azariah, B'Kurav Yakiva Chayel V'Rav. So uh, just to... Uh, just to spice up the uh, uh, the nature of the debate about this, um, we have uh, in the, the Shir Hashirim Rabbah that we mentioned earlier a midrashic um, presentation that has Kanania, Mishael, and Azariah after the royal decree comes out uh, going to Daniel and they're asking Daniel uh, what should we do? Should we bow down or not? And so, uh, according to Shir Hashim Rabbah, uh, Daniel says to them, well, we have a Navi around here, go ask the Navi. So uh, they go, and uh, here's, we reference this in, when we learn Sefer Yitzchel, you know, they go to, to Yitzchel, v'yashvu lefanav, they, we, we read then, you know, v'yavo elav anashim mizikne Yisrael v'yashvu lefanav, they got a very cold greeting from, uh, from Yitzchel, um, you know, now, after the Beit HaMikdash has already been destroyed, now people are, are coming to ask me questions, and now they want to know what the Navi says. Um, and so the Medrash continues, uh, they didn't really know what to do, um, and uh, when uh, they didn't get much of an uh, encouragement one way or the other from Yechezkel, uh, they went back uh, and they made the decision to be Mekadashem Shamayim. And so the Medrash says, So the decree was that they would be burnt, but they, they didn't die in the fires. So this, this, we get this ambivalence about, you know, they had to be, they had, according to the, 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 the uh, Tostos, they, they, they learned a famous Kalva Homer from the frogs in Egypt, and, you know, that's how they, they, they logically justified uh, giving up their lives. Rabbeinu Bechaye, you know, says mitzvah taseh Hashem barabim, and uh, he says shekem atzinu bechanayim Mishael v'azayir shelom asuatzmam almenat anes. They were not believing in miracles. They really thought they were going to die, and they they went to their deaths or what was certain death, uh, quite willingly. The Maral, interestingly, in comparing the two most famous uh, stories, if you will, of uh, of uh, the miraculous events in Sefer Daniel, i.e. ours here with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel being thrown into the lions, but he says that you can't compare the two of them. <laughs> it's a, a bit of, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that the Maral had a sense of humor, but he says, you know, sometimes lions are not hungry, so there wasn't a, a, it wasn't a hechrich, it wasn't absolute certainty that Daniel was going to be eaten by the lions, but uh, here... Um, it was for sure a, a sure thing that Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah were going to be uh, burnt to a crisp. And then he says something that's really uh, interesting and, uh, and disturbing at the same time. 
And he said, uh, so wh- why did this happen? That if you want to know uh, why Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah wound up uh, facing uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar and, and having to choose, this is because uh, they got caught up in the, uh, in the sins of the generation. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, talks about uh, the, uh, this very point. And here we have um, a very, very interesting conversation. Uh, it's, of course, in, in a Midrashic one. And so the Midrash has an agenda here. And the Midrash, um, at least in, the, in my reading of it, which I, I, is really an attempt to look at another dimension of the Midrash, it has a, a, this back and forth between Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and essentially the question that we're that we're begging here in this medrash is how much how aware is Nebuchadnezzar of the importance of what's going on? Does he understand, you know, when he's telling Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in in this medrash, listen, you know. Uh, you, you guys, uh, really, you're, you're, you don't want to bow down to my monument. You don't want to bow down to my idol. You know, your entire people have been, and this is the Avonador. This is, you know, what they were caught up in. You know, you, you're from a nation of, uh, of famous idolaters. We used to, we used to trade for the, uh, the, 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 the stuff to, uh, to make idols with from the Jews in Judea and, and Judah and uh, you know, you guys were, you, you, there were long lines in Judah, you know, to worship idolatry. Why won't you go ahead and do this? So uh, Rivka Raviv, who wrote uh, a fascinating book on, uh, called Chamudot Tata, on Sefer Daniel, says, Nebuchadnezzar Yodea. Now, I don't know whether we have to agree with Rivka Raviv, but she has, certainly has an interesting vantage point. She says, Nebuchadnezzar Yodea. He knows. Imke now we saw this in some of the Mepharshim, but from a different angle, that she, that she says that Nebuchadnezzar fully understood that the reason that he had successfully destroyed the Beit HaMikdash, whether it's the, the old Nebuchadnezzar or the latter one, it doesn't matter in the, in, in, in the sense of Chazal, but that the Jews were, uh, the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed and Jews were brought into exile, into Babylon, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, because they had worshipped idols. He knows the nevuah. He knows the prophecy in Torah, uh, and that ulafiha begaluti He's read the psukim in the Torah. He knows that the Jewish people will be uh, sent into exile and that they will worship other gods, so he thinks they should worship me. Says Rivka Raviv that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, being an intelligent and a well-read king of the ancient world, knew all about Yirmiyahu's prophecies, and so he thinks he's on good ground here, and uh, we get yet another aspect of, uh, you know, his cynical outlook that maybe you know he can twist, uh, he can get away with uh, if getting the Jews into trouble, and uh, thereby uh, you know having his dream uh, turn out the way he wants and not the way it was explained. Uh, 
we can add Rav Dessler in Mikhtav Meliyahu to the list of those who, uh, who thought that uh, he said that Hanani Mishael Vazaria, because of their their status in the in the palace, they were they were very smart businessmen. They knew exactly what was going on, and they when they uh, al- allowed themselves uh, to be thrown into the fire or they fell in by themselves, uh, they knew what was going to happen. Rav Meidan says Hanani Mishael Vazaria. They weren't depending on a miracle to save them. They were ready to die. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, this was a big blow to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. The same Medrash in Shira Shirim uh, has another part to it, which uh, I thought was worth our attention uh, because uh, it, it just completes a circle for us. So, the, you know, this trio, Hananiah, Mishael, Vazaria, uh, they represent the Jewish people, so to speak, and they went to Daniel. And so, but here, the continuation of the Medrash is, they went to uh, Yechezkel, and Yechezkel quotes from uh, Yeshayahu Rabbi. So here we have a reference to Yeshayahu, and that... Um, that uh, Yechezkel's uh, advice to, or his lack, or his direction uh, to Hanania Mishal in Azaria, which was, uh, you know, not really to to oppose the king. Uh, he didn't tell them to. Uh, he didn't instruct them to be Moser Nefesh. Um, but uh, you know, Yechezkel is quoting his Rebbe. And then it ends with a really poignant part, So uh, after the visit of Hanani Mishael of Azaria, apparently Yechezkel understands that they're going to be killed, and he's wailing and he's weeping, um, and, and he's worried about the future of, of the Jewish people. And then, says the Medrash beautifully, Nigla HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu appears to uh, the, the Navi Yechezkel, and he says to him, he says to the, he says to the Navi, Mat Tzavul, what are you thinking? It's so powerful. Sheinim do you think that I don't care about their existence, that I'm not going to be there for them, so to speak? Um, I, I, you think I'm just going to abandon them? That's not going to happen. Uh, so just before we end here, uh, um, I, I wanted to say a little bit about three men, a patriarch and an angel, because uh, it's very hard to read the story of Mishael, as, uh, Hananiah, and Azariah without reminding ourselves of the Midrashic parallels to Avram uh, and Nimrod. Nimrod, who we could regard as the ancestral predecessor to the throne of Babel, uh, had Avram Avinu thrown into, the, into a fire and an, into a furnace. So if there's a connection here, we might imagine that when, and here we're picking up the beginning point we made at the early, uh, uh, when we read the text of, of, of the Perak, the expression guvrin, uh, of men, anonymous men, even though Hananiah and Mishael of Azariah were mentioned earlier by their, by their Aramaic names, these might be the everyman of Jewish history who defied godless tyranny over the ages uh, and were faithful. 
the presence of the fourth uh, figure, the angel, suggests perhaps that, uh, uh, you know, whatever historians might believe about the Jewish people, we have angels uh, who accompany the faithful and, you know, help us get through, through history. Um, it's interesting as well that we have the contrast between Kurha Barzel, the purifying um, <clears throat> core uh, uh, cauldron that the Jewish people went through um, in their experience in Egypt, and here there's the, the fire here that in some ways we imagine may be purifying as well for Kananya, Michel, Vazaya, and the people that they represent. A factoid here that I, I said I would come back to, and uh, I want to fulfill that. Um, for those who want to know or might be curious, <clears throat> the name of the uh, angel who's in charge of Hale is Yorekmo. And so we have Yurekmo and Gavriel uh, arguing it out about which one of them uh, is, is going to uh, save Hanani uh, Michel Vazaria. And uh, so uh, Gavriel eventually wins out. Finally, we have the aftermath. And this is really fascinating. What happens afterwards? So the Psikta de Rav Kahana tells us that Hanani uh, Michel Vazaria are embarrassed, they're ashamed, uh, and they're grateful for having been saved. The Gemara in Psachim tells us that they said Psukim in Hallel. And so what the Gemara uh, teaches us in Masechet Psachim is that the miracles that took place in Bikat uh, Dura uh, became a, a part of our, uh, in, they were recorded in posterity in parts of the Hallel that we say. So the test of uh, fire, the auto de fe, uh, if you will, uh, Avram's test by fire, Hanan Mishael, uh, they really teach us a lesson about what we've endured uh, in Jewish history being on the, in the merit of people of, of faith. Um, the, uh, unlike the Holy Trio of Chapter 3, I thought that we should take note that we do not escape those flames unscathed. Uh, we've suffered greatly. The fires of war that marked the rise of new empires and the fall of older, older ones have left many scars on our national corpus. Uh, chapter 3 does offer the promise that the angel that descended into the fire with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah accompanies us. So here we are, um, you know, in, in a period of time where the fires of history are burning even as we speak. And we close this offering with the Nebuchadnezzar's words, So our chapter ends, as we said earlier, with an acknowledgement of Nebuchadnezzar, the great tyrant, uh, the Midrashic uh, the tyrant, uh, certainly, and his admission that Malchut uh, Shamayim, God reigns supreme over the world for all time and not him. Uh, we, may we merit seeing the day when all the world uh, understands that message clearly. I apologize, I'm not going to be able to allow for questions just now because I went longer than I need to and I'm up against uh, uh, getting to my room. So I'm going to close here. And uh, God willing, we'll continue.